This episode of Running From Cops has some intense scenes of policing on camera that might be upsetting to some listeners. Thanks for listening. Previously on Running From Cops. How real is Cops? Cops is as real as we can get it. I I see it as a documentary. Do they accurately portray the profession of policing? I don't think they endeavor to do that. What I see is the police department as as a political organization trying to get control of the message. It shows what we're dealing with. It shows what society's dealing with. How does showing the victim or the perpetrator on the worst day of their life with a camera in their face help the situation at all? Somebody's got to explain that to me. Cops is a document of what it is. You can't question it. It is what it is. Episode 6, that's the story. Northside. Okay. Uh, your people all cleared out and you okay? This is Cops, Season 1, Episode 5, Broward County, Florida. This episode was shot in 1989. It's one of the first few of the show, before reality shows were even a thing. And you can tell they're still kind of making it up as they go along. Yeah, we're clear and ready to roll. Southside, how you doing? In the scene I want to talk about now, you can see signs of a different kind of show into which cops could have evolved. We're 10-8. Hang on, we're doing some talking, and it looks as though we're doing some looking. It's nighttime. Everything is in shadow, or streetlight yellow. Several officers are observing a gold Chevy Impala rolled to a halt a ways down the road. The window is rolled down, and the driver of the car sticks her hand out to buy crack from a dealer on the street. The dealer is an undercover cop. All right, let's go. Let's get him. Let's get him. The cops rush in and swarm the Impala, and inside they find a young couple. Their faces have been blurred. A lot more faces were blurred in those first few episodes. Please don't take it from me. No, I'm sorry. But then the officers notice in the backseat of the car is a kid, about two years old. He's got blonde, messy hair and a yellow t-shirt on with purple sleeves. He's quiet. He's stunned. You got an infant in the car with your wife in the car and you buy dope from an undercover police officer. You are dumb. While all this is happening, a female officer, who they actually don't name in the show, she picks the kid up to get him out of the fray as his parents are being processed. Come here, honey. How you doing, big guy? You have my son. No, we don't. HRS. HRS. Hey, let me tell you, get the off of me, man. If this episode were shot today, the segment would end here, at the arrest. Instead, they do what cops rarely does nowadays. They keep filming to show what happens after. We leave the arrest scene, and we follow the officer as she drives the kid to state custody. You get a nice crib tonight with lots of nice toys in it? I promise you. She arrives and picks him up out of the back of the squad car. Hi, Christopher, honey. I know you're sleepy. And she carries him into the single-story government building. Sheriff's office. We called and I said, bring him here. I just arrested this boy's mother. The office employees kick the cameras out, so the cameraman shoots what he can through the front window. But where's he going to sleep? And the officer is having second thoughts. You're not going to put him in that room. Please. 
A blanket or something you can put on him? Reluctantly, she hands over the kid and she forces herself to walk away. And the cameraman asks her questions as they walk. Did they tell you? They don't know what they're going to do with him. She gets back in her squad car and she goes back to work. That was 1989. As the ratings grew and more money was being made, and episode 5 became 50, became 500, Cops evolved in a way that pretty much every hit reality show does. It became a format, a formula. You gotta standardize the output so you can fill all the orders, like McDonald's. And the characters on the show, the police officers, they became formulaic too. The first reality show archetypes. To the point where now, the cops on cops aren't acting like police officers with real reactions and emotions like they occasionally did in those first few episodes. Now, it seems like the cops on cops are acting like they think cops on cops act. And that is where you start to get into trouble. On today's episode, how does the cops formula shape the way police officers perform their actual jobs? What are they willing to do? What ethical or even legal lines will they cross in order to make something work for the show? And how does the show help them do it? Recently, we found out. I'm Dan Taberski, and this is Headlong, Running from Cops. In 1799, Pierre-Francois Bouchard, a French soldier with the most French name ever, was part of an expedition force sent to Egypt. Pierre-Francois's job was to oversee the rebuilding of an old fort near a town that is now called Rashid, but back then, the French called it Rosetta. While Pierre-Francois was there, he came upon a tablet with text chiseled on it 2,000 years before. The same text was written three times, once in demotic Egyptian script, once in ancient Greek, and once in hieroglyphics. The Rosetta Stone would become the key for linguists to finally unlock the code behind hieroglyphics, the missing piece of a puzzle that scholars have been scratching their heads over for centuries. And look, I'm no Pierre-Francois. Let's face it, there's only one Pierre-Francois, am I right? But last month, after years of being captivated by this stupid show, watching all these episodes over and over, and then spending the last 18 months trying to really pick it apart and figure out just how real is cops? Well, I don't want to oversell it or anything, but I found my Rosetta Stone. I think it was like six or seven months had passed and uh, I get a call from probably a dozen people that I went to high school with. They're like, dude, holy shit, we saw you on Cops. This is Jordan, who I first met a couple of weeks ago. He's talking about the Cops episode he was arrested on in 2013. It's Cops season 26, episode 14, segment three. 
If you're thinking right now, not that one again, then A, you're a psycho, and welcome. But B, you're right. We have talked about Season 26, Episode 14, Segment 3 before. At the very beginning, a routine drug bust in Gwinnett County, Georgia. But we are going to talk about it again now. Because of what we found out just last month that turns this episode upside down and made us question not only the reality of this episode, but also how much cops and the police they follow are creating the reality that they say they're documenting. We weren't doing anything wrong. We uh, we were just hanging out there. So here's the segment again, but this time I want you to notice a few things because we're going to go back to them. It's after midnight. And Officer Paul Tremblay rolls up on Jordan and his ex-girlfriend, teenagers at the time, sitting in their car in a church parking lot, talking. The police pulled in and hit their, their blue lights. Hey, how you doing? Great, how are you? Good. What are you guys doing here? Just hanging out. Just hanging out. And all of a sudden, we see this big, like, movie camera just come peeling out the cop car. Okay. Uh, you guys have your IDs with you? Anything illegal, drugs, anything like that at all? No? Okay. Neither one of us were too worried about the whole situation. Would you mind if I check to make sure there's nothing illegal in the car? Okay. As the cop is patting him down, Jordan mentions to the cop. I'm on on felony misdemeanor bond. Felony misdemeanor bond, so? Yeah, my felony charge is possession of cocaine. Possession of cocaine? And the cop perks up. Well, now that you mention that, is there anything in that car? Not that I know. I mean, I'm Jordan is actually staying at a residential rehab facility right next door. So the cop heads over to their car and he's talking about how nervous Jordan seems. He's awfully nervous while he's speaking with us. Then the officer opens the door and immediately spots something on the floorboard right away. Couldn't miss it. This right here, crack cocaine has a almost like a cake consistency to it. So we're going to nick test a portion of that and see, test a small amount. So he does what's called a nick test a roadside drug test. If it ends up being cocaine, it'll have a blue or a blue over pink change to it. And that would be cocaine. The test comes back positive. I was blown away. You know, I was like, there's, there's no way that there was drugs in the car. Where was that? On the floorboard where you were sitting. But both of you tell me that it's neither one of yours. No, it's not. I'm seriously over there. You know, I was just talking out of my ass, trying to figure out, like, what I could do to make this cop not take both of us to jail, you know. But I promise you, on everything that I love, that I did not have any cocaine, okay? Jordan and his girlfriend are both arrested. Yeah, you're going to be placed under arrest for possession of cocaine. Just go ahead and place your hands behind your back, okay? I thought she was guilty. John Burgess, you'll remember, was the attorney for that young woman in the video. Just looked like every other cop's episode where somebody was busted for cocaine. Until a secondary, more definitive test came back from the state lab. Cocaine, or alleged cocaine, came back negative from the state lab that it was not cocaine. In fact, it was nothing. They couldn't figure out what it was, but it was certainly not a drug. Okay, now we're caught up. When that sample was tested by the state and came back negative, the charge for possession was dropped. And Burgess probably could have dropped it too, but he couldn't. The files for that case sat on his desk for months. Why did that test come back as positive for Coke when it wasn't? 
Those roadside drug tests are known to be unreliable, but this felt to him like more than just another false positive. It was fishy. So what do I do? I just turn a blind eye and tell my client just to walk away from it. Sometimes you just got to fight whether you want or not. And that's what we did. His client, the young woman in the car, still had a loitering charge from that night. Totally minor, but he decided to fight for his client, to take it to trial, to see what else he could find out. So, like all other criminal defense cases, we sent in a request for criminal discovery, and the solicitor sent us the police reports and a video, a DVD. Burgess pops the DVD into a player. And at first, it looks like the video from the officer's dash cam recording the incident as it happened. And then after about a minute into the video, you the camera moves, and it's behind the police officer. So I said, wait a minute. So that turned out to be the raw DVD from Cops or Langley Productions. So what they had sent you was the raw, unedited version of that police stop? That's correct. Just to be super clear, you never see the raw footage of a reality show. For reality producers, that's like, put it in the safe and bury it. We do not want you to see how the sausage is made. That's why you still haven't heard outtakes of Trump on The Apprentice. So getting this raw video of a cops episode, it means that the bush we have been beating around this whole season, just how real is cops? Now, we don't have to guess. We can compare that seven-minute cocaine bust that aired on Cops and implicated those two teenagers to the raw video that Cops actually shot on the scene and see what really happened, see what they left out, and compare reality to reality. It's the missing piece. It wasn't until we saw the raw video that we found out what the truth was. And as Pierre-Francois Bouchard must have totally said on his big day in Rosetta in 1799... Holy shit. Hey, how you doing? The raw video of that Gwinnett County, Georgia drug bust is an hour and 37 minutes long. What's up, man? What's their story? I don't really have one. They're just here hanging out. Most people would find it super boring, to be honest. A lot of questions that go nowhere, a lot of waiting. So you guys come back here all the time and just hang out? Or? The kind of stuff you'd be glad they cut out. But then you start to notice the inconsistencies. In the segment that aired, the officer keeps talking about how nervous Jordan is. So he's awfully nervous while he's speaking with us, so we're going Jordan was out on felony bond at the time, so he had every right to be nervous. I'd be. But if you listen to the raw video, neither of these kids seem nervous. So if you arrest someone, then where do they sit? This is them 15 minutes in, laughing at the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that sucks. Out of the car. <laughs> This is 19 minutes in, talking about bobcats for some reason. Bobcats. <laughs> 30 minutes in, talking about Waffle House. <laughs> you said that, but I really want Waffle House. Well, there's not Waffle House on Sugarloaf Parkway near Lawrence, Ohio. But the officer keeps saying it. He's nervous. 
He's nervous. He was uh, real, real nervous, quick shaking on the lease. It's like he's building a story. On cops, the suspects are nervous, and so this guy must be too. Here's another thing. In the episode that aired, the officer opens the suspect's car door, and the first thing he sees is the white substance on the floor. In the raw video, what actually happened? He spent 14 minutes looking through the inside of that car. If there's anything in here, hopefully we'll find it. 14 minutes. And at first he actually goes right past the patch of white something that they ultimately end up testing. And the camera guy is even helping out, like he's invested, pointing out stuff like maybe that's something. Need, like right I'm glad that I'm there. Actually really good to hear. Yeah, it looks more like an ash from a cigarette than it looks Some like people, a like, white you know, they just go to like. But cops cut all that out. In the episode, he finds it right away. And that's when we arrive at the part where the officer is testing the sample from the car to see if it's drugs. What the raw video shows is that the officer didn't just do one test on that sample, like on the show. He didn't do two tests. He tests the same substance three times. The first test is for cocaine. This right here, it's uh, not consistent with any kind of cigarette ash, so we're going to nick test portion of that and see. The officer does them all inside the suspect's car. He picks a little bit of what he says maybe could be drugs off the floorboard with a knife, and he puts it in the clear test pouch. Now, when you test a cocaine and a nick test, it comes back blue, if there's anything in it. And John Burgess, who you'll remember isn't just a lawyer, but also a former narc, he knows exactly what the cops should be looking for in that test. And if it's crack cocaine, uh, it'll, it'll have parts of blue and par- parts of pink. But if it's powder cocaine, it, it'll come up blue. And the officer expresses the same thing as he's doing it. If it ends up being cocaine, it'll have a blue or a blue over pink change to it. So if it has blue in it, it's cocaine. The officer snaps the little vial in the pouch. And to John Burgess, the result he sees on camera is clear as day. I used to teach how to do these tests when I was on narcotics for years. And I look at it, and I said, there's nothing in there. It's pink, 100%. There's no Coke. The initial test on that sample came back negative. So the officer does a second test, this time for meth. I don't think it's going to be meth. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and test it to verify it. That's negative, too. So now the officer, he's looking at these two negative tests in his hand. And that's when he says... I'm going to get another cocaine uh, Nick kit here in a second and test that one just to verify. He decides to test it again. I have probably personally conducted over a thousand tests. And I've never done it twice. It's either cocaine or it's not. But what really sent John Burgess off the deep end is what the officer says next. Uh, we'll just get a secondary like test just to verify those, like, it, make LeBron. sure it's in there fact that substance before we okay, advise yeah, them of the I'm bad news. Like, like the officer says, I'm going to do a secondary test and then give them the bad news. Well, how would he know he was going to give them the bad news when the first one was negative? Why would the officer think another Coke test would show anything different, much less be so confident it would have the opposite result and be bad news for those kids? The next thing you see in the raw footage is this. The camera is shooting a tight shot of those two negative drug tests the officer just did. Then the officer walks away. Then the camera cuts out. The camera turns off. 
And when the camera turns back on, what you see is the officer shutting the trunk of his squad car. He walks back to the suspect's car and he does a second test for cocaine. This time, he does it with his back to the camera. Well, lo and behold, the second test, according to him, came up to be cocaine. And that would be cocaine. It tests positive. That's the only test result they show on the episode before he places Jordan and the young woman under arrest. What it appeared like the officer did was plant drugs on his second test. Again, Burgess is a lawyer fighting for his client, but he's also an ex-cop and proud of it. And having been in law enforcement, and I'm very fond of the police and very pro-police. He puts a big chunk of the onus not on the police officer, but on the cameras that were following him, that were looking for something to happen. We believe the officer was just simply playing to the camera. What do you mean? Well, we found out through our discovery that this had been the fifth day that he had a camera crew with him from cops, and he had not made an arrest. That officer's time with the cops crew was almost up. And when he pulled up on those kids, it was after midnight already. So he had a limited amount of time to put somebody in jail, or he was not going to be on TV. And they they can deny it all they want, but there's no other explanation why would he do it. That's a lot of pressure put on somebody. They don't put the police officer on an episode of Cops by helping an old lady across the street. you got to put somebody in jail. And that's what he did. The Gwinnett County Sheriff's Office declined to comment on any of this. But in an affidavit, Officer Tremblay denies that he planted evidence. Actually, he says he just misunderstood how to do the test, that he thought pink meant there might be cocaine, which is wrong, but it's why he did that second test. What it doesn't explain is why that second test came back positive. It would have just come back with the same results, pink, but it didn't. And do we buy him not knowing how to do a Nick test? He had been a cop for eight years at that point. They even make a point of titling him senior officer when they show his name at the beginning of the segment. And in the raw tape, you can hear him deliver this old chestnut to the kids. All right, listen, listen, hang on. Okay, I've I've been a police officer for a while. Okay, I've done this job quite a long time. Okay, and I've had people try to do this before. Seems pretty sure of himself to me. And then a big part of me is thinking, why am I bending over backwards to explain away this cop's behavior anyway, to give him the benefit of the doubt? When the show Cops makes a point of doing the exact opposite for every single suspect that appears on it. At the beginning of every episode, the announcer says, All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But we all know, we all know that's not real, right? No one actually presumes the suspects on Cops are innocent. Everything in the show, besides that one disclaimer, is edited to point toward guilt. And I could do what Cops does. I can say, remember, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, and then arrange that raw video into seven minutes that shows that officer framed those kids. He planted evidence, open and shut. I wasn't necessarily, you know, a perfect citizen. This is Jordan again. I didn't know who I was or who I wanted to be. All I wanted to do was get high. So, Jordan was in residential rehab when he was arrested. 
you know, there's, there's a lot of drugs in jail. I was knowing that, you know, okay, like I'm about to get thrown in a cage with a bunch of people that are probably going to be getting high and, and that nobody, nobody wants to change in jail. Even when he got out of jail and when proof came months later that it wasn't cocaine, that he was vindicated. When I got the test back saying that it wasn't cocaine, that's, uh, I think it was like a day or two later, I, I ended up getting high again, which I had been sober for like, I think it was like around six, seven or eight months, something like that. A chain reaction, starting from a drug bust that at worst was a setup. And at the very best, I think is fair to say, would not have happened if that officer did not have cameras following him, looking to turn policing into content. And it just completely blows me away. I mean, it's just, you know, I just watched the episode again and it just infuriates me. I just, I just cannot fathom it. This is Jordan's mom. She believes her kid was set up. You know, I just, I just, I just cannot fathom that somebody would go and do something like that. I, I just, why? Why would somebody want to hurt my child like that? He stayed in jail for 90 days, and it was probably another 90 days after he got out of jail that the lab actually tested the cocaine. I mean, my son was entrapped. So, yeah, the cop and the cop's TV show, they're both at fault. And, you know, when I saw the other segments that came before that, it's like, okay, these people, they look guilty. They look like... You know, they're obviously doing something wrong. They're being chased or whatever. Who knows what their story really is? You know? How much did cops and the Langleys have to do with all of this? If the officer was planting evidence, did they know about it? I don't know. And the Langleys wouldn't discuss the episode or the case. But I do know this for sure. I know that my dog could have watched that raw video and seen that something was off. And I know that what they showed on that episode of Cops, it wasn't just a simpler story or a shorter story. It was a completely different story than what I see. In court documents, the Langley said that they believed at the time, and they still believe today, that what they showed in that episode was true and accurate. Although in those same documents, they also say that the purpose of Cops is to, quote, educate the public. So, grain of salt here. At the end of the day, like, it's... There's really nothing that I can do about it. You know, they've got so many lawyers and, you know, they've got so much more money than I do that I'd never, you know, I'd never end up winning a case, so. The Langleys say they focus on poor and working class communities because there's more street crime to be filmed, more people to bust than in an upper class neighborhood. But wouldn't you know it, those are also the people who have the least power to fight back. I, I choose to just try to bury that past, that, that part of my past, as much as I can um, and, and try to forget about it. But obviously, you know, it, keeps, it keeps coming up, so. And not just by me. This episode is from 2013. But even after knowing it was a wrongful arrest, Cops is still airing it in reruns. It was March 9th. March 9th was the last time it aired. But Jordan's ex-girlfriend did try to fight back. 
In 2015, John Burgess filed a civil case against the Langleys and against the Gwinnett County Police Department on her behalf. The statute of limitations got the Langleys dropped from the lawsuit. As the case against the cop moved through the court, a judge acknowledged that, in her opinion, drugs may have been planted based on the evidence that she saw. But the case was later dismissed, with a judge saying the officer had arguable probable cause for searching the car in the first place, making everything else moot. The accusations of planting evidence were never considered. A jury never heard the evidence or saw that raw video. Civil rights cases against the government are almost impossible to win. But if you're an advocate for your client, like you should be as a lawyer, you're going to stand up for him and you're going to fight that until you can't fight no more. Mm. In this case, we, we have no more fight. So that's the story. I don't have to tell you what music this is, do I? Because I will fight you. I will. Golden Girls was on TV 15 times in one day last week. I like Golden Girls. I can recite whole episodes almost. I can describe the wallpaper on the walls of each of their bedrooms on the show. Let me tell you a story. Picture it. Sicily, 1922. I like TV. I like it better than streaming. I like catching something while it's on, on its schedule, and knowing in the back of my head that hundreds of thousands of people, for whatever reason, we're all doing the same thing. We're all watching this show that we've seen a million times one more time. Why is everyone looking at a picture of Gavin McCloud? <laughs> no, Sophia, honey, this is a collage of all the things I'm going to have done to my face. I don't watch to find out if Blanche is going to get that facelift after going to her high school reunion. Spoiler alert, she doesn't. She bangs the plastic surgeon instead. And no, they don't show it. It's implied. Don't be crude. I watch Golden Girls because I know what's going to happen. And so I can focus on other things, like the hairstyles or the way they deliver a joke. I can relax. It's not a show anymore. It's a mood you're in. I don't want to be surprised. I want to be interested. I watched cops for the same thing. I know what's going to happen. Someone's going to get arrested. I think people watch cops not because it's real, but because it's familiar. And watching something over and over for 30 years will really screw with your ability to tell one from the other. Cops is not real at all. In all the regular reality show ways, like making people look evil when they've just made a bad choice, or making them look stupid when they're just a little lost. But with cops, it's always the same kind of unreal. All those cities, all those suspects, even all those officers. How can you shoot for three decades and keep coming back with episodes that always look and feel exactly the same? Because it's propaganda. The police expect a certain result for participating. And they get it. Here's what is real. If Jordan from that wrongful cocaine bust had been arrested today in Gwinnett County, cops wouldn't be his only problem. He could end up on live PD. They were shooting in Gwinnett County just a few months ago. 
And after he was arrested, those live PD cameras, they might just hand him off to the other cameras, making another reality show about the Gwinnett County Jail that was just shot for Netflix. Jordan should probably also stay away from Lubbock, Texas, or Sonoma County, California, where cops were shooting recently, or Santa Rosa, Florida, or Santa Rosa, California, or Ingham County, Michigan, where they're set to start shooting in July, or any of a growing list of 150 police departments who have worked in partnership with a show that is built to entertain. And he might just want to stay away from the police altogether, because a lot of cops... When I was in high school, I used to... Uh watch cops because I was interested in getting into the field and uh, a lot of cops they're becoming cops because of cops you hear it on cops all the time I started out watching cops when I was really young with my grandpa and it just it was something that really struck me I really liked watching the officers that's pretty real as I grew up but still unreal enough that for most just turning it off is a valid response and the rest of us just keep watching to be lulled And, like, I can remember my friends and us, like, watching the show while we were high. And, like, it had a sort of, like, soothing effect. This is Alex. He was always drawn to cops in the way a lot of people are. I love the sort of, like, cadence of the episode. You know what I mean? Like, it always starts with, like, the casual banter of the cop and, like, the radios clicking in and out. and seat belts jingling and stuff and, and handcuffs. I got sober when I was 24 in 2006. I was a drinker and I was um, on opiates, like heroin and Oxycontin pills, you know, and like I was always drawn to that life in one way or another. And like it was just exciting to to be able to turn on like your TV and, and see that, you know? Alex works as a fine artist up in Canada, a realistic painter and photographer. I want to leave you with him because Alex figured out how to watch cops in a way that salvages it. Instead of watching it slack-jawed and hypnotized, Alex sits up in his apartment outside Toronto and he photographs it. You know, Saturday night, flipping around and, and finding cops. And uh, me in my basketball shorts, like, it's such a casual thing. Like, you know, while my wife's trying to get our newborn down, kind of, like, whip out my phone and and take a portrait. Like, it didn't, it, you know, I pull up a chair and I just photograph the actual television. Do you pause it or do you just, is it playing? No, it's, like, on my regular going? TV. Like, part of the thrill of it is just to capture that moment. He posts the images he captures on Instagram, a feed he calls Cops Portraits. It's called Cops Portraits, Mm -hmm. but none of them ever actually feature cops. Yeah. The everyday folks are like the people that were interesting to me. A shirtless white guy, flat on the floor, hands where you can see him, with a chihuahua standing on his back. A young couple, his hair longer than hers, on the curb, in cuffs, and squinting into the sun. A middle-aged black man, face against the hood of a car, afraid but calm, and not the least bit surprised. The presence of police never seen, but always felt in every image. Just um, this like curiosity to, to, to the lives behind who these people are, you know? 
It's what I perhaps find most frustrating about cops. For 30 years, they've had cameras focused on communities that TV cameras never get pointed toward. Not real people, not really. But what a waste to be pointing in the right direction for so long, but to have the focus so tight on one thing that you miss the good stuff, the other things going on. And in, in America too, like there's such a beauty in like in movies, like how America is portrayed and um, to see the reality of that through the lens of cops, you know, like the reality of what actually happens in these small towns and cities and stuff, you know? Um, I find there's so much beauty in that, you know, it's like, it's definitely real. Running from Cops was produced by Henry Malofsky and me, I'm Dan Taberski. Our associate producers are Courtney Harrell and Diane Hodson. Joel Lovell is our editor. And thanks to Leela Day for her editorial input. Our music is by Mark Orton and John Hancock. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. The team at Topic Studios is Lita Malad and Lisa Langang. If you are listening to this and you were on COPS, we would love to talk to you. We've talked to some already, but we would love to hear from more of you about what your experiences have been with the show. Call us at 209-2-ON-COPS and leave a voicemail. That's 209-266-2677, or you can email us at copspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks also to Jeff Asher, Sam Polito, Kate Matthews, Jess Jupiter, Christina DeJosa, Elliot Adler, Susha Roy, Max Schneider, Ali Adilianis, Nora Wazwaz, Laura Olin, and Mona Chalabi. You can find Running From Cops on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And check out more podcasts from Topic at topic.com slash podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>